Hello and welcome to episode number 14 of the Comicsly podcast, the official podcast of Comicsly.com. My name is Joseph. Today we are wrapping up our series of episodes on the Studio Ghibli movies. Previously we've watched and then discussed My Neighbor Totoro, Princess Mononoke, Kiki's Delivery Service, and Spirited Away. Today we're wrapping up with Howl's Moving Castle, which is probably the funniest studio ghibli movie we've watched so far it was a nice note to end on comedic and a little bit more light-hearted at moments movie it's a two-hour movie but that comedy really helped move it along in some point at some points and made for a really nice viewing experience we also get into at the end of our episode some thoughts about the the five movies that we watched our favorites and you know kind of our takeaway about watching these movies and, and what we enjoyed about them. But if you want more in-depth thoughts about any of those, go you can go back and listen to our previous episodes on any of those movies. As always, we wrap up our episodes with a couple of things that we're enjoying this week. Thank you for being here with us for this episode. We hope you enjoy it. And we'll be back with our conversation on Howl's Moving Castle after a short break. But this time... <laughs> We're talking about uh, Howl's Moving Castle. This is the last of our Studio Ghibli series, like our series of podcasts on the Studio Ghibli movies. So I actually want to spend, we're actually going to spend some time at the end. Just what are our favorites? Yeah, what are, what are our favorites, right? Top couple. And then something that you, I think something that we both felt going into, going into Spirited Away, I think you said it, you said you felt a little bit of fatigue um, mm-hmm. watching these movies. And I think we want to talk a little bit about that. Because I definitely, I think it was nice. We, we, we were able to watch this movie together, which was really nice. So I didn't feel so. I didn't so, get as easily bored. Yeah, yeah, right. I think there was like a, I didn't sort of have that sort of hurdle to get over, like start it and get going with it. But that was definitely there for Spirited Away. Even you know, even though I ended up liking that movie and and this movie, this is a pretty solid movie too. I will let's start with the beginning of that opening scene, right? So the opening scene is just you're you're looking at you know pretty beautiful Studio Ghibli pastoral view, right? And then this big steampunk mechanical <laughs> monstrosity comes roaring over the hill, and just kind of what impression did you get seeing that right away i'm trying to think back to it because i remember we watched this part i didn't watch this part with you yeah we watched these separately i didn't think i guess like my first thought was like "Ooh, that's kind of ugly like the castle Mm. i was like that's not a castle Mm -hmm. um but then i don't know i don't really think much of it i was like well that'll probably be important later (laughs) moving on (laughs) yeah what about the way it's pretty I thought it was pretty distinctive, right? So this is the fifth one we watched so now, and I can't think of anything else that looks the way that looks like that castle did in any of the movies. Mm-hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And I remember yeah, you I, said it almost looked like it was drawn different. Yeah, I was. I, I it, it definitely looks different, right? And we were we were with, watching it with someone who pointed this out. And I think this is the difference, right? Everything. In a lot of Studio Ghibli movies, and and you know this one, right? Most of the animation, while while beautiful and very pleasant to look 
at, it's very matte, right? So the colors are very flat and there's not a ton of detail, right? One of the things, you know, with, uh, with anime, but any kind of that goes into Studio Ghibli movies, right? They communicate a lot of facial expression. They communicate a lot of emotion with the fewest amount of lines or details possible, right? But that castle is so highly detailed compared, right? Whenever it's in the scene, it is the most highly detailed thing in the scene. So it, it looks very different, right? And it has all these sort of different like chimneys and smokestacks and little towers and each of them move sort of wobble independently of each other so it's very yeah it's just it moves very uniquely and it has it's very highly detailed compared to everything around it right so it just really sets it apart from everything else in the scene and i was just it you know you don't know what it is initially but you're you at least understand that it's it's extremely important right whatever that thing is it's extremely important right which you you figure out why later in the movie right why why it is such an important thing uh after that i don't really know where we gotta go where we gotta go next do i because i don't really want to summarize the movie right because you know <laughs> i feel like we say that at the beginning we don't want to summarize it and then we end up <laughs> summarizing it um, mm-hmm. so do you want to give us the broad strokes of the movie and yeah because i think it can actually be summarized just in a few sentences i was trying to like think of a haiku on the spot but i don't think that's happening <laughs> in this episode but there's this girl, Sophie. She's, I think she's supposed to be 19, right? I think so, yeah. And she works at a hat shop. I don't exactly remember a lot about like the first five minutes because I didn't watch that with you. I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, she basically ends up getting turned into an old lady by the Witch of the Waste. Mm-hmm. And she leaves her hometown. And... Um, with the help of a scarecrow called Turniphead, uh, she finds Hal's castle. And then she goes inside. There's a fire demon named Kelsifer and a little little boy. What is his name? Markel? M-A-R-K-L. I think, yeah, Markel, I think. Markel, yeah. So they're there. Um, And Hal also is, like, there. And then she's just kind of like, I'm your cleaning lady now. And Hal's (laughs) like, that's not suspicious at all. Great. (laughs) And then side note, uh, a prince from a kingdom got kidnapped. And uh, kingdoms are going to war. And all the wizards need to report to one king or another to fight in the war. Mm -hmm. And It's a very, like... And Angela's being very vague about it because yeah. <laughs> the movie is extremely vague about the war intentionally. We'll we'll get to that, but it's intentionally very vague about who's fighting and why they're fighting and uh-huh. anything related to it, really. Yeah, but then like I don't know how to describe it right with like the the, the witch lady. The when the, they go to the palace and the, see what what's her face Sol- yeah, Solomon. So the government Solomon? So- Solomon, I think Solomon. The government wants all witches and wizards to report to fight in the war. Howl doesn't. Well, Howl has seen the war up close and doesn't want to do that. The government sort of won't let him, right? So they start chasing him down because he's one of the more powerful wizards, right? They want to use him for their side. And Howl has to sort of. Howl has to grow up, right? In, in both a metaphorical and a physical sense Hal has to grow up and he's running away from from these people who are trying to attack him he has to 
grow up and confront them. And at the point at which he does that is kind of when the movie ends, right? He confronts it, you know, he confronts his, the thing that's keeping him as a child. He sort of reconciles with Sophie and the Markle and the people around him. And then the war magically ends and then the movie ends and everything's happy. Um, so it's very much a, it's very much a tale about growing up and the, the difficulties of that. Would you agree with that? I, I think I would struggle to like, what does, what kind of needs, right? Cause theoretically, right. This is, you know, the war needs to end, like the war needs to end for the movie to stop, but like the actual mechanics of like, well, what causes the end of the war is very, is extremely vague throughout the whole movie. Yeah. It was just like the prince is back. Because the prince ends up being turnip head. Yeah. Sorry, I spoiled it. Mm-hmm. Also, I was looking this up because I was trying to find Lady Solomon. That's her name. So, uh, do you know that you watched The Hunger Games, right? Yeah. You know PETA? Josh Hutcherson? Josh mm-hmm. Hutcherson? He voices Markle. Oh, he does. Isn't that weird? That is weird. We got Batman being Howl. Batman's Howl. Oh, Christian Bale doing his... I don't know if the first Batman movie had come out yet, but doing is very a very good Batman impression at times. So yeah, those are broad strokes of the movie. I don't know what kind of stood out to you. I, I that's kind of what I just. I think this conversation just like what stood out to you. What what do you think this movie was about? What did it communicate to you? What where do you want to start? Um, I really liked this. I also I noticed that there was like. We we watched this in the dubbed version, mm-hmm. um, and that was this is my first movie I saw in the dubbed version, and it kind of made me wonder, like, because I was really entertained by this movie. There there seemed to be a lot more humor, and I don't know if that's just because there was humor in this movie, or maybe like things just translated in like English, like were funnier. Yeah, so there's a scene. I think the most humor, right? The funniest point of this movie, right? Is there's a scene where. Howell, right, he's been summoned by the government to go fight in the war, and he doesn't want to do that. He's running from his, right, from challenge or confrontation, as he always does. And so he gets Sophie to who, you know, is appears, has a, looks like an old woman. He gets Sophie to go to the castle in his place. And so as Sophie's going, right, she's walking into the castle, and she's quite old, so it's hard for her. Plus, she also has to carry this dog up the castle <laughs> stairs, so it's she's really struggling. It's really hard, and there's these huge stairs. But the witch of the waste is also there, and she's a she's a very like she's a huge woman. She's tall, she's wide, and she's struggling to get up the stairs at the same time that Sophie's going up them. And there's this really funny back and forth as they're moving up the stairs, where Sophie's not berating her not ber- not just like berating, but just sort of teasing yeah just yeah teasing chiding her for for not really struggling to make it up the stairs and it is i think it's definitely one of the funnier things i've seen in one of these movies but you're one you're wondering if that comedy plays as well in the in the japanese language version yeah yeah i don't i don't know so we watched it yeah we watched it dub because we had we had been reading a lot that day, <laughs> so we didn't really want to read any more subtitles. But the dubbed, I thought the dubbed version was pretty, pretty good. Did you? Yeah, I, you? I like. I thought I would be like super distracted by the dubbed version, 
like I thought that like the voices wouldn't be like good, mm-hmm. but that, that was really good. Yeah, yeah, I liked it. Yeah, and I so this movie came right. Spirited Away was two thousand one. This movie was two thousand four. And I, I'm, we, I mentioned last time that I watched about half of. I was switching back for Spirited Away between the subbed version and the dub version, and they did a really good job with the Spirited Away dub version. Dub version getting the emotion of the the emotion of the words and the scenes, being able to capture it in the the way that the characters' faces were expressing and the way their lips move, and having like the lip right, the lip movement, which was drawn to match japanese language be able mm-hmm. to accommodate an english language audio track so they did a really good job with that i don't i don't think they did as good of a job as spirited away but i'd be interesting if you watched even if you just watch that scene right does that mm-hmm. that scene on the steps play as well in japanese language i think that'd be really interesting interesting to hear if that does yeah but yeah i think this one, yeah, definitely, yeah, because I remember we talked about it with many of our Totoro too, right? Just watching the dub version just felt wrong with that movie. Just the way, yeah, the way like the expression and and the way the the actors' voices sound for that one, it felt wrong. But this movie was pretty solid in that sense. Let's move on to I guess right. Let's spend some time talking about Howl. So he he's a wizard. <laughs> he has a very dirty house. He has a moving castle. He has a moving castle. Was there a point when you like figured out what was going on with him or did it take until like the very end when they finally said what was going on with him? I mean, I kind of like You mean going on with him like with his heart and stuff, right? I uh, yeah, I mean mostly, but there's like why he is the way he is, right? Cuz there's these scenes very like I guess you you go into a castle, right? And it's like impossibly dirty, right? It's so dirty. You're like, you know, if he's like magic, why doesn't he just clean it up? Because he does that later in the movie, right? So it's like, yeah. it's impossibly dirty. He doesn't seem to take care of himself very well as far as like eating. He, you see his bedroom at one point and it's full of toys and very shiny things. Like it's full of just toys and shiny things. There's no, and a bed, that's it. There's no room for anything else. And the bathroom is is like <laughs> the grossest thing you've ever seen. Yeah. In a very colorful way, but it's still very gross. And you just, he's also very impulsive, but he doesn't know how to deal with his emotions, right? There's the scene when he, (laughs) what, what, what's happens? Why does he get, he starts oozing goo from him. I forget why that starts happening. Um, this is when, uh, Sophie cleans up. The bathroom. I messes up his potions and yes. it makes his hair orange. And he yes. says, "I was looking at this quote. I give up. I see no point in living if I can't be beautiful." <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's very mel- Howell's very melodramatic. And yeah, he doesn't want to live anymore because his hair turned a different color and he sort of slumps Tur- over. Because he his- turned into a ginger. <laughs> <laughs> his hair turns a different color and he oozes like green goo. And so Sophie has to drag him up. To I forget if she drags him upstairs to his bed or the bathroom to bed to get to bed to get him to stop right so yeah yeah right I guess like I mean did any of that seem weird or out of place or you did like um I mean I feel like this 
compared to the other Studio Ghibli movies, is definitely the most playful. Mm-hmm. You know, because like even like My Neighbor Totoro, like you expected to be pretty playful. It, it wasn't like this. You know, like mm-hmm. I was never laughing. <laughs> you yeah. Know? No. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. My, I guess My Neighbor Totoro is cute and you're sort of there's moments of like wonder but i think playful and like playful and i wouldn't describe it necessarily as playful or comedic in the way that i would with this movie because there is something like the scene when he's like oozing the green stuff like it's ridiculous it's so (laughs) it's it's weird you get what you're trying to say but it's it's a weird way to convey it so for me seeing all of that stuff i i was wondering you know what is you know and there's also like he can turn into a bird and he sort of leaves the house to go to mysterious places and come back and you don't really know where he's been and you just i guess i was wondering what was kind of going on for him but with him and we learn at the end of the movie that he has this little demon named calcifer who makes the steam that keeps the house moving right the house is run by steam and we learn at the end of the movie this is kind of where it ends Mm -hmm. that he accepted calcifer is a star slash demon or stars are demons i'm not sure which way that goes me either (laughs) i don't know he accepted calcifer in he sort of took calcifer in and in exchange had to give calcifer his heart right so he took calcifer who has a lot of power right Hall's Mm -hmm. one of those powerful wizards and that power seems to come from calcifer but in exchange he had to give up his heart and that seems to have frozen him as a young child right as a as a boy right which is why he's i guess if you want to like generalize why he's messy right but more broadly right it's why he seems to struggle with his emotions it's why he sort of struggles to connect with sophie or at least communicate how he feels about her Mm -hmm. uh to communicate how he feels about her to her and also why he's struck right at you know i don't think I think we're supposed to understand right when he sends the when he sends his grandma to go handle his business, right? It's like sending your mom to go talk Call to you your, out of school. <laughs> yeah, I was just saying, go talk to your teacher, or your principal, right? Go talk to the like the authority figure you don't want to talk to, right? He so he's stuck very much in these childish patterns, right? He's like a very he's a very powerful figure, but he's stuck in these childish patterns, uh-huh. and but I don't quite know i guess i don't quite know what changed for him at the end right because at the end he lets calcifer go and he takes his heart back but i don't yeah i'm not entirely sure like what changed for him right what did he what did he learn do you have i don't know did you have any insights when you were watching about that no because like it seemed like he got his heart back and then everything was just fine mm-hmm. and like i was also confused used about like what point did he decide that he like liked sophie i think it's probably or is it because like did he always like sophie because of like that weird thing where like she's in the past what do you mean because you know when she goes into his past he's she's in his childhood and she's like look for me oh yes there's that so like was like I was wondering like was that was that like real was that like an actual did she like go back and actually like did he have that memory and was he because i remember the first thing she he said to sophie at the beginning of the movie was i've been looking everywhere for you and i've just been reading around and people are like oh my gosh she he said that you know mm. and like i'm i've always wondered like is it like did he actually remember that or is that just something that like 
happened and didn't really exist after it happened. Uh, I don't. I think that's definitely possible. I think that's definitely one way to read it. The way I was reading is, do you remember when he, I forget what, he comes back at some point and he can't, he's wounded, right? He's really, really hurt. Mm-hmm. And he comes back and he can't, he's as he's in a bird he's in his bird form and he can't change back to a human and sophie goes up to his bedroom and she goes down that tunnel to sort of find him Mm -hmm. and i forget exactly right she encourages him like you have to go do I i forget exactly what she encourages him to go do I don't I don't know if it's she might encourage him to go talk to to Solomon or if it is to I forget if it's to go talk to Solomon or to they know that the village that she came from is going to be bombed and he encouraged she encourages him to go do something about that. I think it's one of those two things. There's that scene shortly after that where he rejuvenates the house, right? That's where he uses his magic to clean yeah. up the house and sort of fix everything. And he takes Sophie to his childhood home where he shows her all the wildflowers. And he's like, this is where I spent all my time. This is a really happy place for me, right? He seems, the way I read it is like, that is when he sort of understood that he could trust her and that she had his best interests at heart and could, I don't know if it's a love, but she, you know, maybe more like a love, like the way that you love a friend, um, but that she cared about him and that he could trust and like care about her in return without getting hurt. Uh, that is, that's the point when I saw it switched, right? Cause it's like a very sudden switch, right? He goes from being very moody and sullen to that scene. And then it barrels pretty quickly towards the end from that point. Yeah. There's, there's a scene where some airships attack that field and he has to go deal with that. And then he has to go, um, deal with the war finally i i and again like the war is super vague so i'm saying deal with the yeah. war but he just like he he cannot stop them from bombing sophie's village right and solomon is sending people after sophie and after him sophie takes calcifer out of the house it collapses that's when she goes back into the house to have the vision but that at at that point when the that is when the witch of the waste figures out that calcifer has cal's heart and she takes it from calcifer she's gonna you know she was in love with cat uh howl at one point so she's gonna use it to make Hal fall in love with her sophie talks to the witch of the waste you know convinces her to give up the heart howl shows up and she sophie gives his heart back to him he takes it and his you know he gives up the power from calcifer but he you know stops his stops being a child i guess and then Sophie's old age curse is broken, although her hair does stay gray or white. Mm-hmm. Um, but Cal is sort of, I keep saying Cal, Howell is returned to, <laughs> to normal at that point. And then once that happens, instantly the war ends. Once Howell returns his heart back to inside of himself, his, the war ends. She, the war ends because Solomon is watching them and is like, well, I guess the war is over. Yeah, she. it's literally just her in a crystal ball being like, I, the war is over. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. But so, yeah, like there's something in there, you know, and I don't, I don't know how strong it is, right? Because I think just the different interpretations that we have about it, right? Maybe minimize the impact, right? Was it, did he change because he had that vision from his past or did he change because he really cared about Sophie? I don't know if there's, I don't know if the movie offers a really strong answer to that Mm -hmm. one. I don't know. Do you feel that it does? 
No, because I always thought that, like, that flashback, Hal was, like, I thought that was for more, like, Sophie's experience, not Hal's experience. What do you mean? You're talking about he sees the vision of, like, when he's young and stuff. No, Sophie sees that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so your your thought was, like, how the thing that prompted Hal to change was Sophie. Getting his heart back. Well, no, but, like, yes, but why did... So if you're right, right, did he go looking for... Right early in the movie, he says, I've been looking everywhere for you. Mm-hmm. Was he yeah. looking for Sophie because he wanted to get his heart back? Or was it just, like... That's what I was asking oh, earlier. Okay. Well, so, okay, do you think the movie... So I'm saying, because that's, if, if that's true, right, if Hal's looking for Sophie then he knows she's important in his life, right? So I guess either way, right? If well like no, if you're if you're correct, right? You're how something had been changing in Howl, right? That he wanted things to change in his life, maybe. But I'm wondering was but it's all it's like this magical thing, right? He had this premonition that there was this thing he needed to go do. It ended up get with him getting his heart back. And I'm I'm wondering, is it that or is it that he met Sophie and she sort of changed the way that he she he she changed the way that he felt about the world and felt about other people probably the second thing you think this (laughs) (laughs) it was a lot but i I think the second thing (laughs) okay yeah i don't i don't know if the movie has a strong answer for that but people you can look on the internet and i think you could believe either thing that you want right Mm -hmm. um because i didn't think about that that is the first thing you hear him say is i've been looking everywhere for you uh moving on let's talk one thing i thought was really beautiful about this movie i want to know what you think about it is i thought it showed aging right i think in a lot of movies you see aging as sort of horrible right and difficult and how how did you think this movie presented aging um well like so you sent me that article to read Mm -hmm. and it really like i think because like sophie changes from age to age it feels like or she gets Mm -hmm. like older and then she gets younger and sometimes she's Mm -hmm. old again and it was like a bit confusing because like at first i was like did the did the animators just like were not <laughs> they consistent? Little, they got a little tired. <laughs> I was like, that can't be right. Um, but in the article, it said that like she would get older when she would become less confident. Mm-hmm. And, it, sh- and yeah, even as we were watching the movie, we were like, oh, she's just standing up straighter, right? Even if it wasn't like visually, she was just sometimes she was more hunched over, and sometimes she was standing up more mm-hmm. straight. Yeah, yeah. So I thought that was just in. Interesting. It was like an interesting way to show like how Sophie, like her character, was changing. Right, and she's the how old she appears to be, or how stooped over versus how you know how like if she's standing up quite straight and appearing quite young, or if she's a little bit more stooped and appearing to be quite a lot older. It's constantly going back and forth, but it seems tied to these moments right it seemed right there's the moment in the castle right she's standing up to uh solomon solomon now i'm forgetting how we said we're gonna say it solomon 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 on behalf of cal right and she's quite young in that scene right she's i don't know if she's necessarily powerful right but she feels powerful Mm -hmm. because she's right she's quite emphatic that the war is not good that it shouldn't be something they shouldn't be doing and that how is not going to take part in it right so she's very confident she feels very powerful in that moment and there's also right just even moments right or other when she's having more tender heart-to-heart moments with howell she appears 
quite young in those moments as well. And so, I don't know, does that say, what is that? That says something to me. Does that say anything to you about like when she appears older versus when she appears younger? Um, what do you mean by say something? Well, like, so I think something that happens in a lot of media, right, is we sort of, and this doesn't just happen with old people, it's, you know, this is a fault of how a lot of media isn't very, the representation is not broad, right? It's show, right, I think we see a lot of old people as not really having very complicated interior lives, right? They're just kind of maybe, you know, the emotion that maybe most often defines them is just being bored and tired, right? They're like in a nursing home or they're in the corner of the living room. They live with a fa- their like family, right? But I think this movie shows that Sophie, even though she is an old person, right? She got turned, she got turned from a 19 year old into a 90 year old. Mm-hmm. So, she, you know, she appears to an old person, but she does not, that is not the way that she thinks of herself, right? And I think in those moments when she's sort of expressing how she's feeling, right? Whether that's powerful or, uh, caring or whatever right that is when the age her age starts to go away right and she's just sophie as we saw her in the beginning of the movie right she's not like old sophie or young sophie she's just sophie at that point so it's i don't know it was it to me i was kind of like oh it's that you know it's it's such a cliche to say that like age is just a number right but it's i think this movie's kind of getting at it's showing us something a little bit something kind of like that right where it's the feelings and the emotion and what that person is doing is more important than like if their skin is quite wrinkly or if they're stooped over, right? Or any mm-hmm. of those things. Yeah, no, I like, I don't have a, you, you say all the things and I don't well, have anything to say. The things and, I don't know, like, I don't know, that's, I don't know, do you, do you agree with about the like how old people are often represented in, in movies though? Like, I don't know, did this feel new or did it feel like, did it feel like a different representation of aging than you normally see in stuff that you watch? Sure. Mm, I guess to me, not so much. I because I still saw it as like I guess I didn't really notice her like acting any like stronger or different when she was like an old person versus when she was being portrayed as a younger person. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I like where you're coming from. <laughs> well, I think yeah, I don't know because she's she does have quite a lot of like I don't think it's like the amount of activity, right? Because she Mm-mm. when she's cleaning up the house, right? She's like running everywhere and she has quite a lot of energy when she does it so i don't think it's so yeah, much about no. like, the energy or what she's doing i think it's more about her emotions are when the age starts starts to starts to go away but at the end of the movie right even when she's the spell is broken and she looks or you know she appears 19 again right she still has that she still has her gray white hair right yeah and because she says something at the beginning of the movie about how she always felt like an old person yeah she seems to and so I wonder, yeah, I don't know. I guess they, you know, maybe just maybe, I don't know, maybe she's, you know, they say like some young people are like more mature. Maybe that's communicating that. Um, Moving on. Any, I have like just one thing left that I want to talk about. So before we get to that, is there anything else you want to hit, Ange? Any themes or anything went on? Any characters? I was thinking about, because I did watch up to the point where like they met Kelsifer in the subversion. Mm-hmm. And I felt like the voice, the way that the voice was act, voice acting for like the English version versus the Japanese version was like I thought it was pretty different. Cause like I feel like in the English version, the Calcifer, like his voice makes it like sound like more not like edgy, 
but more like sassy. You know? Is this in the English version or in the, the English version? Mm-hmm. Whereas in the Japanese version, I feel like the voice was—I don't know if like childlike. It was like still playful, but it wasn't like as like sassy. Mm-hmm. I think. <laughs> Which, I, yeah. No, I think you're right. So, Calcifer in the dubbed version is played by or is voiced by Billy Crystal, who's. He's quite old now, but he was a really popular stand-up comedian, right? So I think he's definitely... That Calcifer, I think, in the dubbed version is just comedy, right? He's just going for the funniest... What's the funniest way to say this line every single time? Mm -hmm. Basically every single time, right? Calcifer doesn't have a ton of emotional moments. He has a few, but they're not super... I would say they're not super strong emotional moments. Maybe they are the the Japanese Mm -hmm. or the Japanese voice version. Um, but I th- I think you're like, yeah, sassy, and it, it's just Calcifer's just straight comedy the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, yeah, I mean, you know, right, like you said at the beginning, is nice because these aren't, these Studio Ghibli movies aren't often funny, but it is, it is very, very different. Mm-hmm. All right. Last thing I wanted to get to is something I was thinking about, and I don't know if this was, you're a little bit younger than me, so this might not be something that stood out to you so much, but this is... The, so Spirited Away was 2001, right? So that movie was made before September 11, right? It was like, yeah, I don't, I'm not sure exactly. I think it was released at the end of 2001. So it might have came out afterwards, but it was made before that, right? That movie was not in response to that at all. But uh, Howl's Moving Castle is November of 2004. So Three years later, right, definitely September 11th had happened. The U.S. had invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. That was definitely a huge thing going on in the world. And this, the war that goes on in Howl's Moving Castle, especially compared to something like Princess Mononoke, right, where it's about a war, but it's the war is presented in an extremely, the war is very complicated in that movie, right? You're, You're understanding what, both sides are doing and you're understanding why the the leaders of both sides are doing what they are whereas the, in this one the war is just entirely nebulous and seemingly random the entire time right no one's ever explaining why why it's happening in any case and even the characters just say it should stop because it's bad right that even the people who don't want it to end can't give a complicated reason why mm-hmm. and that sort of brought to my mind that that brought to my mind the the US invading Iraq and Afghanistan right because we're technically right we're at war in those countries right now right those you know troops have been reduced and pulled out but technically we're still at war with those countries right those wars even though we don't think about it even though it's not something that's like on the news every single day it used to be right it used to be on the news all the time but technically, those conflicts are still ongoing, seemingly in perpetuity, right? You know, two, 18, 18 years, I was going to say 20, like 18 years after they started, they're, they're still happening, right? And even though we're not thinking about them, right? The people that live in those places, the soldiers that are going over there are definitely thinking about it. But it's something that is, it's something that's a little bit more abstract and we're very removed from it because... I think it's really hard to, it's something that's on, something is serious, even, even though it's something so serious, the fact that it's just ongoing for 18 years and we've all sort of, not all of us, but at at least for me, we understand that it's a war that was not started and was not continued for the right reasons. I, it 
it's a really hard to to be fully invested in caring about it all the time. That's really, really hard because because it is so abstract. And, you know, if I was thinking like the, for the people in the people that were living in the town, right, the people like living in Sophie's town, right, if their leaders and the people involved in the war can't articulate what it's about, and this movie doesn't care to tell us what it's about. It has to be just as abstract and random for them until, you know, at the end of the movie, right? Until their city is being bombed and destroyed. So I, you know, I was thinking about this. I got, you know, I don't know if the parallels are perfect. And then I started to do a little bit of reading. And something that Miyazaki mentioned when he made this movie was this is like the way that the, the U.S. invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan was something that very much was on his mind when he was making this movie, right, in the way that it seemed to be, right, it was supposedly because they had weapons of mass destruction and the U.S. was going to go in and get rid of them. And then it was because they were going to find Osama bin Laden. And then it was because they were going to take down, remove Saddam Hussein for power. And then it was because they needed to, like, stabilize the region, right, because of ISIS or other groups who were who had sprung up simply to get, who had sprung up to get the U.S. out of the country, right? They didn't because they didn't want the U.S. occupying them anymore. And, you know, it's, I think it's really interesting that we get to see in this movie, right? Because we're so, you know, America as perpetrators, as, pe- as a country that's directly involved in the war, we, it's hard for us to understand how do other countries who have no involvement and just see what we're doing, how do they feel about this war, right? And so, you know, Miyazaki, right, as person living and working in Japan, from his point of view, this war seems abstract. It seems without ideology. And it's, you know, that something that is occurring at the whims of leaders who are telling people what to do. People are dying, people are feeling the effects, but they have no direct involvement in it or anything. So mm-hmm. I think it's a really, I don't know, I think it's kind of a powerful statement about war in that sense, right? I don't know. And what's, what's kind of like, not funny, but like ironic. Mm-hmm. Is like, cause I guess I see it as in like this movie is sort of like not to like maybe I don't know if like to call out like America or whatever, but like it was definitely like a critique of like what was going on, right? And no, yeah, and then it got nominated for an Academy Award. <laughs> yeah, no, abs. Did you read? I think it's. I was looking at the Wikipedia, right, and it says in there he worried that people in the U.S. wouldn't like it because it shows, you know, if if Hala, if if Solomon is in that they're the country that they're leading is the U.S. Right, they're waging a war for absolutely no. They're waging a war that's killing, you know, lots of people and destroying things for no reason, right? Like, and if that's the U.S., yeah, that's what does that say about us? He was he was worried that. The U.S. people in the U.S. wouldn't like it because because of that exactly. That's a really good point. But uh, they did. But I don't yeah. also wonder maybe maybe people who watching it here didn't think too much on that. Yeah, I that that's the one thing I was going to say. Right, I think it's really easy to to miss that and not think about it. Right, because I think the war has to be abstract. If you're trying to make that point, then the war does need to be abstract and random. And need right it ending suddenly is all part of that, but I think it really it, it is quite easy to miss that if you're not thinking about it, right? And I would you know mm-hmm. people probably probably weren't. I would I would totally agree with that. Anything anything else? Mm, no. Okay, we watched five movies, right? What we watched? We started with Totoro, my neighbor Totoro. We watched Princess Mononoke, 
what was the third one? Kiki's Delivery Service. Kiki's Delivery Service. Spirited, Spirited Away. Howl's Moving Castle. Yeah. All right. Give me your top one. I think that's maybe more interesting than like a one through five. What's your top one? This one. This one? Why this one? It made me laugh. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm simple. <laughs> okay. That's it's just because it made you laugh? Also, I, I like the music. I also, I noticed that like there was two songs that had like actual lyrics Mm-hmm. And I feel like a lot of the other, I don't know if there was any like lyrics in the soundtrack, you know, in the other movies. I just thought that was interesting. Something that I, I noticed. Would your opinion, if you watch the Japanese language version and it wasn't as funny, would your opinion change? Then it would probably be my neighbor Totoro. All right. So you, you really did appreciate the comedy in this one. Yes. Okay. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. It was, I think that definitely made watching, that probably is what contributed to making, uh, a little bit easier of a watch, right? It's a two-hour movie, so it's a little bit long, but uh, I think a lot of that went by pretty quickly, especially that first half where more of the comedy is situated. That probably helped make it a little bit of an easier watch. I think I think my number one is still My Neighbor Totoro. I can't... I, I Part of me wonders if that's just because that's the first one I saw and if I had seen... If I had seen Spirited Away first or if I had seen this one first, if they would be my favorites. But I like the... I like the just... There's a there's some randomness in this movie too right we have turnip head you have that weird looking dog uh what else you have the castle is very weird and random there's some weird you know it's there's kind of a weird steampunk world a little bit you you have some of that in here but i totoro you have the cat bus and you have the totoro totoros themselves you know i i don't know just the i i i think about like the expression on that totoro and that that's the thing that makes me laugh the way he has those like big eyes or whatever so just the the it's just the, like the wackiness of that movie, but also the way that that is part of the way that that is directly tied to what it's like to be young and to dis- be out discovering things and how you kind of feel uh, the way that when you're you're young and you're out in the woods or you're out in a new place and discovering how it's magical and scary, but also just how normal life things can be scary and overwhelming as well the way that that movie blends all of that together with really really good music and i still think that's my favorite of them to look at overall just the the way that the, the nature and everything is depicted in that right there's some awesome things to look at in spirited away there's some awesome things to look at in this movie my neighbor totoro i think i still really like how all of the scenery and everything looks in that one the most cool yeah all right. Were anything else to add in, or you want to go to the next part? Let's uh, let's go to the next part. Let's take a quick oh. break first. <laughs> we will take a quick break. <laughs> Things that have been interesting for us this week. I'll start off. Over at the start of winter break, I I told myself that I would read lots of books because I used to read lots of books when I was like in grade school. And then once I got a phone, I'm sorry to say this, I rarely picked up a book ever again. <laughs> so I was trying to get back into it. I bought a bunch of books with the intention of reading them over winter break. Uh, I read one. And it's called All You Could Ever Know. It's by Nicole Chung. 
Uh, she's a Korean adoptee, and it's just like it's from it's her memoir. Um, and as a as a Chinese adoptee, it was a very interesting read. Mm-hmm. Um, and if any of you guys are listening and are a transracial adoptee or are just interested in like knowing how what one adoptee thinks, it'd be a I recommend it. Is it about her? It's like, like, is it? It's you said it's a memoir. Yeah. So it it kind of centers around she ends up finding her birth parents, oh, wow. and she has two sisters, and with one sister she actually like connects with, and it's just it's just it's just interesting. Is it told? Is that the like story that it's following, or is it? Um, yeah, it's like that, and also like she has like a baby of her own, so it's sort of like talking about her experience, like that. Okay, okay, awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Pretty sh- not too long, right? It was well, I saw you reading a little bit. Not, not a yeah, huge it book. wasn't too long. Nice, and it's written pretty like pretty easy to read as far as the yeah, way it's written. Yeah. Okay, because I feel like memoirs are my new favorite type of book because they're easy to read. Oh, okay. Is there another one that you have read or that educated? Read? Educated is a good memoir. That's been on like a lot of lists last okay. year, though. So I feel like you also you read know. that one. Remember that other book you talked about that you had to read for class? Was that a memoir? Just Mercy. That was also yes. a memoir. That's also a memoir. Okay. All right. All right. Nice. And with the memoirs. Love memoirs. It. <laughs> All right. Mine is not a thing so like a single thing so much as it's a website. Uh, I used in college. I used to read the A. You ever do you ever read the AV Club? I remember you used to read it, and I would try to look on it to see if there was anything interesting, because I wanted to be just like you, and it was super boring. Okay. <laughs> I'm honored that you wanted to be just like me, but I'm glad that, I'm very glad that you're not. Um, I, yeah, I used to read it in college, and I think the, I think, because the AV Club and the Onion, right, the Onion. I would go on that, I would, like, those were the sites that I would go on on my Chromebook in, like, middle school and just leave up in case, like, someone walked past and saw that I was on it. <laughs> nice. I've definitely, <laughs> I've definitely done stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like, people, yeah. The Onion, right now they're part of, I think it's called IO Media, I'm not sure, but they're, right, they're now part of the same company or it's Geo Media. It used to be Gizmodo. Now it's Geo Media. I pr- I think the AV or the Onion, which used to be a, a newspaper. I have. Did I tell you this? One of I I don't. I should do something with it one day because they you used have to the pr- book, right? Well, I have the book, but they used to print it, and you could. They had free copies, right? It was free in Milwaukee, and then I think it was also free in Chicago because I think it was started by people who went to University of. Ma- I'm pretty sure it was started by people who went to the University of Madison. And then they kind of, it kind of grew into a thing in Milwaukee or Chicago. But so it was, I used to pick up free ones on my way home from school when I was in high school. And then I think the last copy, the last print copy came out my senior year of high school, I think. So I have that paper and I I should do something with it. Not that it's worth anything, but it just is something I really, really enjoy. But the AV Club, the half of the paper used to be the Onion and the second half would be the AV Club. Now they're just both online. But so I I always love the AV Club and sort of the way because they approach things with a pretty funny tone, right? They're they're with a pretty funny and, and lighthearted tone about a lot of stuff. But also I think they find people who write about interesting stuff and their film critic used to, he went to... He went to where we went to high school, Inch. Yeah, yeah. Wait, really? 
Yeah, he did. He went oh. to East. Uh, so I used to, he used to do little videos. He doesn't do videos anymore, but I think he still writes for them. But he went to, he went to where we went to high school and read it a lot in college. I think the quality, I think it's become a little bit more clickbaity in ever since it got acquired, right? Because now it's part of the state. It's Kotaku, Deadspin, Gizmodo, Jalopnik, Jezebel. Life Hacker, all of those are part of the same media group, Geo Media, and I think the quality has gone down a little bit since that happened. Yeah, I think it's become a little bit more quick clickbaity. Still good, but they have a, a thing that they do every week called Pod Mass, where they recommend a couple podcasts that people are listening to, right? Their writers are listening to. And they they tend to find really interesting stuff. You know, one of the things with podcasts is how do you find new podcasts that aren't just you know, everyone can tell you to listen to WTF or This American Life or Reply All or whatever, right? The big ones everyone knows about. But how do you find that really, that smaller stuff? And Podmas is something that comes out every week. And, and generally, they do a really good job of honing in on those little things. So I've, I, for whatever reason, I came across one of the, their postings and then have just started going back through 2020 and just the different podcasts they recommended. And picking out a few that I want to listen to. So I've really, I've been enjoying doing that. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right. That's the end of the show. We... <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else to say? No. I right. I mean, I guess in like, did you watch, did you see that Netflix is going to have like a bunch of movies? I saw that that thing came out, but I haven't watched it yet. Me neither. But I want to watch it. I saw a Disney article about season three of umbrella academy just started filming again though so uh-huh. that's exciting because we're gonna yeah. do umbrella academy stuff do. yes i have a lot of catching up to do and we're also gonna do some comic book reading about that so that's cool yes. but i think that i think it's supposed to come out end of the year so that'll be that's down the line so that uh, was the podcast <laughs> that's the podcast <laughs> You can follow Angela on Instagram at glow.angela. You can follow me on Twitter at J-O-E-Y-G-L-O-W-A-C-K-Y, Joey Glowacki. You can rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast playing app. You can also email the show by sending your emails to podcast at comicsly.com. All the music you heard in today's episode is the song Something Elated by the band Broke for Free. You can find their music on the Free Music Archive. Coming up on next week's episode is a discussion of the video game Kentucky Route Zero. This is a long, well, ultimately not that long, right? About 10, 10 hours, but a a long in the making game. Um, been developed about over about seven years five episodes episodes came out starting in 2013 culminating at the beginning of last year with episode five in 2020 so we're gonna we played through that we're gonna talk about on next week's episode and i think that'll be a fun one i think we we both had different the reaction our reactions that i came were were quite different so we're, we're looking forward to that one and we'll see you next week everyone bye Imagine